CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Himalaya. Did you know that some people earn big money, even six-figure salaries, diving for golf balls? You mean like scuba diving? Yeah. So golf balls are really expensive. And so when a golfer shanks it into the lake, we got something valuable waiting for them. So fishing out those golf balls, cleaning them up and reselling them is a big business. Personally, I think I'd let the alligators keep the balls before I dive into Florida waters surrounding golf courses searching for balls. That sounds like risky work. It is. Golf ball divers, and they exist, they report frequent encounters with snapping turtles, snakes, and even alligators. Risk is something that factors into how much people earn. Today, we're going to dig into all the factors that add up to determine how much people earn, what they're paid for their work, on this episode of Think Like an Economist with me, Betsy Stevenson. And I'm Justin Wolfers. This is the podcast where we teach you some of the exceptional tools from economics so you can transform your life. Nestor and Tabakoli Farah is with us. This is a really exciting episode because it's going to help us answer or at least understand a question a lot of us have, and that is, why do some people earn more money than others? I think many of us want to earn more, so there'll be a lot we can apply to our lives. Yeah, at Think Like an Economist, we're going to take credit for every listener who manages to boost their income after applying the lessons from today's episode. Naz, you're not going to be surprised that supply and demand are important determinants of why some people earn more than others. I'm not surprised I thought you'd say that, but I do sometimes get confused because I usually think of myself as a demander of all the things I buy. But on the labour market side, I'm the supply of labour and I'm deciding whether to supply my skills and ability to do a job. One of the main factors determining how much you'll get paid is how much you need to be offered to be willing to do a job. So the supply side is related to the characteristics of a job. And an important factor that shapes whether any of us want to do a job is how much fun it is or isn't. I used to dream of being a chocolate taster. My daughter wants that job too. And it does exist as a job, but it's not easy to get hired and it doesn't pay very well, at least not until you've gotten a lot of specialized training in chemistry and food science. In the US, the average wage of a high school graduate is around $30,000 a year, but there are a lot of jobs where you can earn more. One job for high school grads is is a makeup artist. It's a great job for someone who has a lot of talent with makeup. And if you work on movie sets or television studios, you can meet famous or at least interesting people. Or you can take a different path and enjoy peace and quiet by doing the makeup of dead people. Justin, that's awful. That's the point, Naz. Someone has to do the makeup of dead people for an open casket funeral. More generally, someone has to prepare people after death for a funeral. This job, we call it a mortician, is generally seen as a more unpleasant job than that of a beautician. Morticians get what economists call a compensating differential, which is the boost in wages that are needed to offset the undesirable aspects of a job. 
Meaning that the difference in pay between doing the makeup of living people and dead people is partially determined by the fact that most people prefer to work on living people. So the compensating part refers to the fact that this extra wage compensates you for the attributes of a job. Differential refers to the fact that people with similar skills are earning different wages. We see compensating differentials in all parts of the labor market. If you work a night shift at a hospital, you usually get paid more because working nights can pretty much ruin your family and social life. Well, lawyers at big law firms work really long hours, which also isn't great for your personal life, and so they tend to make a lot more money than those who work for the government or as in-house counsel at a company. Jobs with undesirable attributes pay more, or you can say that jobs with desirable attributes pay less. Naz, you're a journalist and you also studied economics. Now, journalists don't make much money. People with economics degrees are among the most highly paid graduates as they can go into really lucrative careers like banking. So you had the chance to make a ton of money. Justin, are you trying to say that I blew it? No, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I could have made a lot of money if I went into banking. And a lot of my classmates actually did do just that. But as a student, I got involved in the student paper and I absolutely loved it. Being a journalist gives me so much joy and I actually really believe it's an important job in society. So I'm more than happy to be a journalist, even if I could be earning way more money as a banker. And so the point is compensating differentials lead to a lower wage in some jobs because workers like you, Naz, are essentially paying for the really pleasant parts of their job. That sounds a lot like journalism. Let's zoom out a little because whether you're paid a compensating differential or not doesn't depend on you, but it depends on the preferences of the other workers and how they view a job's attributes. Think back to those golf ball divers. Most people don't want to dive into swampy, snake-infested waters to fish out a golf ball. The higher wage is a reflection of how the market views a job's attributes. Here we see the interdependence principle. Right. Your opportunities are shaped by the choices of others. You might think that diving for golf balls sounds fun. If that's you, then I've got a great job for you. The fact that other people don't want to do it means less supply of labor, and when there are fewer available workers, all else equal, wages are going to be higher. So in this way, having unique preferences can be a real asset for you in the labor market. This gives you real career advice. You want to think about your tastes relative to the tastes of other people. Try to find a job where either you enjoy it a lot more than other people, or you dislike the bad aspects less than others do. So that's supply. But I mean, how many golf ball divers does the world need? Demand has to be important here too. Right. So you're pointing to a really important point about labor demand. It's what we call a derived demand because it's derived from the demand for whatever you're producing. So it's the value of those submerged golf balls that ultimately caps how much a worker can earn. After all, no one is going to pay more for refurbished golf balls than they would pay for new ones. And the more balls you can gather which is another way of saying the more productive you are at harvesting sunken golf balls, then the more you can earn. Yeah, I read that one golf ball diver reported earning millions of dollars a year. But I think that's a tall tale because it would require them to gather over 5,000 balls a day, 365 days a year. It sounds like an exaggeration to me, but it helps demonstrate how important productivity is. The number of balls you gather in a day is a measure of your productivity, and the higher that number is 
the greater your potential earnings. The point is that a big factor that determines how much you can earn and what employers are willing to pay you is people's willingness to pay for what you produce. So if you want to get a higher wage, you need to convince your boss you bring a lot of financial value to their company through your output. I want to be clear, though, because sometimes economists get sloppy with language and they talk about what people are worth. Wages are not worth, but they do reflect other people's willingness to pay for whatever it is that you're producing. Okay, now we've cleared that up. Let's talk about what makes people more or less productive. Economists talk about human capital as the accumulated knowledge and skills that makes you more or less productive. Just like physical capital is the machines that make stuff, human capital is the human talent that allows us to make stuff. The bottom line is that businesses pay workers for their skills, which is their human capital. The more human capital you have, the more productive you'll be, and so the more you'll get paid. Right, and education is really critical when it comes to building your human capital. Regardless of which subjects you study, you'll learn all sorts of skills that'll make you a more productive worker, such as learning how to communicate better and how to solve problems. People with college degrees on average earn a lot more than those without a college degree. That's right. But it's not just about college. Research shows that every year of education builds human capital from early childhood education on up. And it applies to on-the-job education like apprenticeships, too. When it comes to college, though, the gap in earnings is pretty big. And that gap has grown over the past several decades. I looked up the data and the median high school graduate without a college degree earns $30,000 a year, meaning roughly half earn less and half earn more. But for college graduates, the median annual earnings is $50,000. Over the course of their career, a college graduate will earn over a million dollars more on average than a typical high school graduate. And people who stay in school longer to get professional degrees, such as lawyers and doctors, earn even more money. I also like to tell my students that among those with a college degree, those who major in economics earn some of the highest wages in study after study. Just listening to this podcast is building valuable human capital. Education plays a huge role in how much you'll earn for two reasons. The first is that it builds your human capital and therefore makes you more productive. That's what we've been talking about. Second... Education can also help you get hired by signaling, say, that you're tenacious. Employers want to find the most productive person they can. Someone who will work hard, be a good team player, and overall generate a lot of value for them. Their problem is it can be hard to figure out just from talking to someone whether they're tenacious. You know, they're going to tell you they are and they have a bunch of other virtues. Everyone's going to say that in an interview. I remember that cliche interview question where you're asked to state your biggest weakness and people say things like, I work too hard and struggle to take time off for my family and friends. Or, I'm so detail-oriented, I never let things go. Right, so how do you know they're being honest? For employers, your education tells them in a credible way that you've done something hard. You worked hard in school, you were tenacious, you accomplished your goals. You aren't just saying it. You're showing that you have the tenacity and commitment to accomplish your work. They're hoping you'll bring what it took to get through college to their workplace. College being hard is exactly the point. Economists say that education serves as a signal, which is an action that credibly gives them information that would otherwise be hard for them to verify. In this case, an employer needs some sort of evidence that you're tenacious. And having a college education is one way of proving this to them. 
It sounds like these are two conflicting ideas about what education does. One is that it makes you more productive, you gain actual useful skills. The other is that it just proves to employees that you have the skills you had all along, like tenacity. These are conflicting ideas, and both can be true. Education can give you real skills that will make you more productive. I think learning economics will make you more productive in a lot of jobs. You can get some of those skills from listening to this podcast. But you can't put podcast listening on your resume. So it doesn't work to generate the signal that a degree or other credential would. Those signals can be really important in landing a job, particularly your first job. But the skills you get, the increased productivity, that's what will help you get raises through your career as you build on those skills and demonstrate your high productivity. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, let's change our focus. The more labour supply there is, the lower the wage. But the more labour demand, the higher the wage and vice versa. So clearly labour demand and supply play an important role in deciding how much you'll earn. But what else matters? Institutions can impact how much you earn. And by institutions, we mean the rules and the regulations that affect the labour market and the world of work. An occupational licence is a set of rules that determines who's allowed to work in an occupation. This is pretty important. I mean, you can't just decide to work as a doctor. Licensing laws are there often to ensure safety for consumers. I mean, you wouldn't want to be operated on by a surgeon who isn't fully trained and could do you harm or have your house rewired by an electrician who doesn't know what they're doing and could create a fire hazard. The problem is that occupational licensing has really grown beyond these ideas. You see, licensing lowers the labour supply because it keeps some people out. And that's good for those who remain in that occupation because less labour supply means higher wages. Back in the 1970s, only about 1 in 20 workers needed a license to do their job, and today, more than 1 in 3 do. Often licenses are a bit silly, like requiring thousands of hours of training before letting someone braid hair for pay. My favourite is in Florida... Interior decorators have to be licensed because you never know the damage that will be done by a misplaced throw pillow. Another important regulation is the minimum wage. A minimum wage is a price floor. In the US, you're not allowed to pay anyone less than $7.25 per hour. In some labour markets, the equilibrium wage might be above that, so the minimum wage doesn't have much of an effect. But in other labour markets, the equilibrium wage would be lower. 
In this case, we end up with unemployment, as more people are wanting to work at the minimum wage than there are businesses wanting to hire them. The minimum wage is a very hotly debated topic, with some people arguing that higher minimum wages will lead to unemployment and others saying a minimum wage ensures that people can make a fair wage, which they can realistically live on. Research shows that the impact of a minimum wage really depends on how high it is and how many workers it'll affect. The types of minimum wages that we tend to see in labor markets are such that there are pretty small effects on overall employment, but they can affect who gets hired. A higher wage can lead to fewer employers being willing to hire young people, for example, because young people tend to be a little bit less responsible and therefore less productive. It's one reason some countries have a separate and lower youth minimum wage. We haven't really talked about worker bargaining at all, but I'm guessing that unions can have a big impact on wages. Yeah, unions increase the wages of their members. And on average, unionised workers earn 10 to 20% more than similar workers doing similar jobs who aren't unionised. And unions can reduce inequality because they often result in a smaller gap between the highest and lowest paid workers in a company. Yeah, unions are really powerful in some professions and industries, such as with teachers, nurses and transportation workers. Now, given unions increase the wages of workers, bosses aren't big fans of them. Naz, I think you're right, but it's not always a great move on the part of management, because while unions can lead to higher wages, they also can help ensure better communication between management and workers. And when managers and workers communicate more, this can mean that things are done more efficiently, which means that workers are more productive. And at the end of the day, that can boost profitability. We're looking at why some people earn more money than others, and so far we've looked at labour supply and labour demand, as well as the role of institutions. But we haven't discussed discrimination, and I think that's an important factor. Right. In the US, there are statistics showing that white people earn more money for the same job compared to their colleagues who are black or Hispanic. And men still earn more money than women, often for the same work. So, Justin, you just said for the same work, but I think that's asking too little of discrimination because discrimination builds over time. So I still call it discrimination if a woman has left an occupation like economics or computer science because she's experienced a hostile male work environment. It's no longer the same work, but discrimination is playing an important role in her wages. I hear what you're saying, Betsy. So if a person of colour gets passed over for promotion because the team deciding it just feels a better connection with a white candidate, then they're going to be on a lower track forever. Ten years later, they're not going to be doing the same work, but that's because of discrimination, and that discrimination means they're doing different work and getting lower pay. Economists tend to put discrimination into three buckets – Prejudice, implicit bias, and statistical discrimination. Prejudice is when we're biased against a group of people which is not based on reason or experience. Not only is that entirely unfair, but prejudice is not good for a company's bottom line. You know, if a company's prejudiced against LGBTQ people, well, then they'll have a smaller pool of workers to choose from. The company's effectively decreased the labour supply it's willing to look at, and therefore it'll increase the wage. They've ruled out some potentially very talented workers who are now not going to get the job because the employer was prejudiced against them. Implicit bias is when we make judgments based on unconsciously attributing certain qualities to a particular group of people. 
Someone may not hire a man to teach children, even if he's excellent at it, as the boss may have an implicit bias that men aren't very nurturing. Women often get shut out of positions due to implicit biases that men are more aggressive and so will do a better job negotiating. Implicit bias can be really hard to tackle, as often we're not even aware of our biases. As a boss, it helps to hire candidates based on really carefully structured assessments rather than going on the gut feelings of who you think will do a better job because your gut might be biased. The third type of discrimination that economists have focused on is statistical discrimination. This is when statistics about average performances for a group will influence how someone judges an individual. Basically, when people are missing information about the individual, they fill in the missing blanks with averages from the group. Effectively, they're relying on stereotypes. You haven't brought up structural racism or institutional discrimination. We talk about these things a lot today. Yeah, these are big ideas that economists are just now starting to grapple with. That our racist history shaped the institutions we designed in a way that's still having an effect on the labor market today. So take the design of the unemployment insurance system in the United States. So when unemployment insurance was first created, it excluded certain workers, like agricultural workers. Now, Betsy, I have a guess. Are there particular groups of workers in those areas? Yeah, by virtue of their occupations, about two-thirds of black workers at the time were not included in unemployment insurance, compared with only a quarter of white workers. And so you're saying that our unemployment insurance system was designed in a way to largely exclude African Americans. That's right. I think people still think that's playing a role today in the kinds of support people get when they face unemployment. And so the big idea here is that even if people aren't discriminating today, the shadow of history still means that markets can yield discrimination. There are lots of examples of that, that if you start to dig in and you ask yourself, why do we do things a certain way? you'll see that it comes out of our discriminatory past. And that's actually pretty tricky to get rid of, just like implicit bias is. And uh, I think that's why economists are just starting to figure out how to make sense of it. What are some things we can think about over the next few weeks to really get to grips with all of this? Well, the first thing we talked about was compensating differentials. And, you know, that's a reminder that you need to think about what makes you unique, your unique preferences that might give you an edge in the labor market. Maybe because there's something you love more than anyone else, and you'll get all those benefits of doing something you truly love without sacrificing a lot in pay. Or maybe it's something that you dislike less than anyone else, and you can take that unpleasant job and get the higher pay for it. Second was the idea that labour demand shapes how much you'll earn and employers demand highly skilled workers. That says if you want to get paid more, invest in your education and skills. The third thing we talked about is institutions. And there, the best thing for you to do is make sure you understand the institutions that govern the labour market you want to enter. And finally, we talked about discrimination. This is both a really important social issue, but it's also an important business issue. Because if people in your organization are discriminating, you're not getting the talent and the labor supply that you really need 
So when you think about discrimination, realize that you have to dig a little bit deeper to understand what kind of implicit biases you might have or what kind of ways our past has shaped our present that leads to discriminatory outcomes. Betsy, Justin, that was great. I think we all now have a better handle of what to do if we want to earn more money. And Naz, I want to hear lots of stories about you getting big pay rises out there, mate. (laughs) And remember, I told my listeners I'm taking full credit for every pay rise you get. (laughs) 